Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Listeners, friends, people of all ages. Whoa, ages? I think I said ages. Wow. Lend me your ears. This is the Tabletop Submarine Podcast, and we are so happy to have you here. As always, my name's Josh, and with me is my greater co-host. I'm Andrew, and I think you said people of all ages. I said I said ages? Yeah, like as oh, in How did I oh how did I miss that? Oh, I feel so stupid. <laughs> I'm gonna explain why uh, how did I oh no. So our guest today is Breeze Griggis. I Andrew used an introduction, but the reason I'm so upset is because Breeze Griggis is the creator of this game that we're going to be talking about today called Aegis. And I just, I missed a pun, and I'm supposed to be the guy who like does puns on this pun. Man, Andrew. <laughs> round of applause. Okay, take attention from that pun, which was glorious. I'm going to let you do the introductions, Andrew. Go ahead. Just <laughs> I need to <laughs> contemplate my life for a little bit. No, Breeze, welcome to the podcast. And uh, we know a little bit about you, but we'd like you to tell our audience about you. So please just go ahead and expound for a minute. Uh, hello, my name is Breeze. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I am a game designer and publisher. Uh, I make a game called Aegis, uh, combining robots. Um, it's a tactics game. Uh, went to school for game design five million years ago. And now uh, this is what I do. Uh, for a living um, I've just kind of made games and stuff for the last 10 years and uh, we are one week uh, as of this recording we're one week into my uh, the third Kickstarter I've ever run and uh, that's exciting so what is the name of this uh, third Kickstarter we kind of <laughs> talked about ages but like it's it has some differences to it so what is this second Kickstarter you're doing third Kickstarter sorry yeah, so um so yeah, we this new one that we're currently running is Age of Season 2. It is a sequel to 2018's Age of Combining Robots. It's a whole standalone expansion uh sequel sort of thing. Um completely new from the last game but also totally backwards compatible, cross compatible. Uh we worked on it pretty much from when Aegis 1 launched and uh, so it's been basically our whole pandemic has been putting this game together, and uh, yeah, just launched and it's uh, it's going great. We made more money in uh, one day than our entire thirty day campaign <laughs> uh, from last time. So uh, we're just getting better at it over time. That's probably a pretty crazy feeling, isn't it? Oh yeah, I w- I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. First, a very, very explosive first day. I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. <laughs> um, I've never had more social media notifications in my life. I had to like, I had to like wield like thirty different tabs, just like answering notifications <laughs> from every angle. It was insane. Well, it helps when you have a successful and well loved game from the first time to bring a second one into the world. Mm-hmm. Then you already have a captive audience who's interested in seeing what more content they can have. And of course, then word spreads to their friends. So congratulations. Thank you so much. So we're going to get more into the second Kickstarter during the dive. I want to talk about the ages a little bit, just the base game. So really, it, it, I, I'll be honest, I haven't heard of this game until you brought it up to us. Um, but it looks very fun and something I would be totally down to play. So can you tell me a little bit 
about what Aegis is. Like it came out and you said 2018, I remember. Is yep. that correct? Yep. So yeah, if you could just tell us like what Aegis is and you know what kind of game someone could look into if they see it at the store or something where they're looking into. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Yeah, we launched at like Gen Con 2018. Didn't really hit shelves until like 2019-ish. But yeah, it's uh, Aegis Combining Robots. It's a tactics game. You play on a hex grid. You have a team of five robots. You fight against your opponent's team of five robots. It goes two to six players. Our new box is one to six players. We have a cool boss battle mode. But yeah, team of five robots, team of five robots. You fight each other. Uh, Two-player games, like 30 minutes or so. And then there's five different types of robot that you can use on your team. Assault, Evasive, Guard, Intel, and Support. Spells Aegis. Um, the robots mm-hmm. are color-coded. They do different things. Assault robots assault. Evasive robots evade. Guard guys are tanks. Intel robots stop your opponents from doing stuff. Support uh, support robots keep the rest of your team going. And you can have, like, uh, there's, like, now, like, all 200 unique robots in the game to, like, mix and match and make a team out of. So you can have, like, a whole team wow. of assault robots to punch your opponent. Um, it's a very content-rich game, but fundamentally it is you have five cards in front of you and five of their associated pieces, and you move around the board and you roll some six-sided dice and you punch each other. And, like, the cool part of the game is uh, you can combine these smaller robots together into bigger robots. So you put an assault guy and evasive guy next to each other on the board, uh, combine them, you get an AE robot and then it assaults and it evades. Same thing you put, say, three robots together or four robots together, or put your whole team together to make uh, Voltron. And <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's cool. The, the cool part of the game is, like, the whole team building um, aspect, all the different robots. Uh, of course, just, like, making your uh, childhood dreams come true, combining your cool robots together and punching your opponent. Um, it's been around for a while now, first game, yeah, came out in 2018, and now the sequel uh, will add basically double the amount of robots, and it's also just, like, cleaner, nicer-looking, more well-produced game, because we leveraged all of our experience and, you know, money from the first box into this new one. So is this the only game that uh, your, your publishing house, is Zypher Studios? Uh, Zephyr. Zypher Workshop. Yeah. Zephyr Workshop, sorry, yeah. Yep. Is this the only game you guys have done? Do you have a couple other titles? We have! So, like, this is our second published title. Uh, so we have Aegis 1, then we have Aegis 2, which is the new one. Um, very for The first Kickstarter we did was uh, we were doing Aegis through another publisher, and it, it failed. <laughs> so mm. no, this, is, uh, this is my third rodeo doing a Kickstarter, but only my second successful one. In the meantime, while, we not, we're, well, while we're not publishing Aegis, we actually work as like contract development sort of thing. Um, we do like testing and development and design stuff for other publishers. Um, we worked on some games for like IDW and Hasbro and you know Funko and these other thing and these other really big places. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's we're just doing some name drops there. That's nice. I'm yeah. about to ask you for some name drops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we got uh we we did that. We pretty much started doing that after the first game came out. So it's like. This last few years has been pretty crazy with like really getting a lot of experience on all sorts of different genres of games for all sorts of different clients. And I think that sort of experience really shines through in uh, Aegis 2. And it feels like I've grown as a person. I hope I have. <laughs> Time will tell, right? Right. <laughs> well, cool. Well, Breeze, we're really excited to have you on the show. Let's get um, going. I want to get my instruments ready really quick before we start going into more about the Kickstarter that's currently going, so let's head into our pre-launch. 
the pre-launch. Get to know us and our guests. So, Andrew, you have a game I cannot pronounce, so please go ahead and take it away first. <laughs> uh, yeah. So a game I've been playing recently is Nanga Parbat, which is apparently about Sherpas and um, kind of multiple mountains. It's kind of like a King of the Mountain meets set collection with special powers. Um, I didn't think much of this game, except until I, I... I didn't think of it much until I played it, let's put it that way. I thought it was a two-player game. I heard it was a tactical strategy game, so I thought I'd try it out. It ended up being a really good game. It's also available on Board Game Arena if anyone wants to try it out that way. Um, but what's really interesting about this is the tacticalness of when you place your your meeple in a section, right? Wherever you place it on that mountain dictates where your opponent will play on the next mountain. So you kind of choose for your opponent the area they're going to be placing into next while still trying to collect groups of your meeples together to create sets and therefore create base camps. It's really hard to explain, but at the same time, it's really interesting and worth a look for a lot of people, despite the name being almost impossible for anybody to get the right the first time. So that's Nanga Parbat. I recommend it. I gotta say, I really like the cover for this game that I'm looking at right now. It's like a, It looks like to be like a Sherpa with... Holding yes. uh, right in front of the Himalayan mountains or something, but then I look at the other game, like, like the game board. This looks really intriguing. I am a really big fan of Steve Finn's design and his yeah. philosophy, which I, I believe is his philosophy is like I'm never going to create something new. I'm going to create something like there's nothing new. I'm going to create. It's just going to be very different variations done well of things that I've done before. And so I always look forward to his designs. Have you ever played any games of his before, like Biblios or maybe something like oh, that? Of course, yeah. Big fan of Biblio. Yeah. There's not too many King of the Hill games. Like I can think of King of Tokyo, which is like very basic King of the Hill, and then like Mountain Goats. But I always like that me mechanism, so I'm going to need to check this one out. That's Nanga Parbat. Breeze, what have you been playing recently? <laughs> uh, let's see. We took a break from running the Kickstarter to... Uh, we whipped out uh, Leader Games' new game, Ahoy. Uh, I love their... Hey. I, I, I love Leader Games' brand of four-letter word games with Kyle Farron's art style. I think they've really hit on something special <laughs> with their uh, with their brand recognition. It's just like, I love stuff like that. Um, but yeah, Ahoy! It's probably Leader Games' like, simplest game. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a nautical seafaring game. Uh, it's an area control. Uh, you have four factions, goes two to four players, four factions... Uh, two of the factions are the same. They're like smugglers, and you're trying to go from island to island to deliver, uh, to deliver goods. Uh, one faction of these shark people, and they they're like the attacking faction. You can spread sharks all around the ocean and attack people. And then you have like the snail faction, which is like you're playing an RTS and putting little snail people on the islands to like take control of the islands that way. And all the all four of the it's like a dice placement game. Each player, each turn, you roll four dice and you place dice on these actions on your player on your player tableau. Of course, because it's a leader game, everyone works a little bit differently. But unlike yep. other leader games, they kind of all work at least reasonably similarly, which makes the game a little bit easier to learn than some of the other ones. Uh, on the box, it's shorter. <laughs> Our game took quite a while, but on the box, it says forty-five minutes. Uh, I got this game pitched to me at Gamma. Uh, last year in the spring and the pitch was really good like the guy 
at leader it was like the they had a prototype that was like put together with like scotch tape and like glue <laughs> and i was <laughs> like it. it looked uh it looked it looked really good and the pitch he got, he told me pretty much everything about the game in like a minute and a half it was it was crazy i was like oh wow that's like really really intuitive for for a leader game um and yeah no it's it's good kind of just compete for points everyone gets points a little bit differently i think our game went long because it's a race to 30 and i think if you really wanted to make the game a little bit shorter you could probably go to like 25 or 20 even um to figure out if you're just like learning the game and playing for the first time but yeah game game good game game was very good very charming for the most part intuitive i felt like i knew what i was doing the whole time i was doing really cool like you know wombo combo stuff by the end where i was like going to a place delivering some stuff getting a whole ton of points then immediately i can collect another thing and then warp over to another island to deliver stuff there and i was doing like a chain it was it was cool i was playing one of the smuggler factions yeah really looking forward to playing it some more and seeing if the playable playing time goes down now that we all know how to play it so compared to other games and leader games line where do you think this falls is it going to be like for more gateway hobby stuff or is it going to be like still in the more difficult range of like where fort rude maybe not oath but like in that area it's like simpler than root and oath probably still too complicated for grandma but <laughs> it's like in a it's in a it's in a good rate uh, what's the target audience for this it's like people who want to play root but it's just but don't less... mess if they're six hours learning it yeah it's like it's just like more accessible it's just like a more accessible uh leader game for people who want to play the other leader games it's just like that but it's just like simpler and i hope that they put out more games of like this intuitiveness and this weight it feels like it's a really good match for the art style as opposed to you know you go into root and it's like yeah. you look at that art style and you're like all right cool and then you you hit the wall of rules and you're like ah <laughs> this feel this feels like it's roughly the finally uh a leader games art style matches roughly the complexity of it where it's still detailed the art's still like detailed and cool and unique and original but it doesn't have like you know that twilight imperium (laughs) (laughs) well nice that was ahoy by leader games i have finally gotten to the table after almost over a year of sitting on my shelf cthulhu wars duel now cthulhu wars is a very famous very bombastic very grandiose Area control game with miniatures upon miniatures upon miniatures from Sandy Peterson Games. This is the dual version, which is a two-player version that is much simpler, a lot more affordable, more streamlined, and takes only about 30 minutes as opposed to the two or three hours it takes to play the normal Cthulhu Wars. I grabbed this because I am a Lovecraft fan, for one, and two, I like two-player games, and I've always wanted to try Cthulhu Wars, um, but the word on the street is that it's a terrible two-player game because of how large the map is. And so I was excited to give this a try. Um, to not to just kind of give away the lead, I really liked this game. Okay. I thought it was a very interesting area control uh, where you are trying to play different great old ones vying for control of Cthulhu country, Lovecraft country. So it has like Red Hook on there, um, Arkham, Dunwich, all these different areas connected by this little map. 
Um, it's a very tight map, though. Lots of the different areas are connected together, even though they have different sections of the board. And so it creates this really cool warped around effect that makes for some interesting spatial puzzles. And I really do think the factions, this one had um, Shubnugarov and Cthulhu in it as the players, you, as basically the factions you can play. And they both played very differently. And it was apparent how you're supposed to play them. And I really liked that. When asymmetry is very apparent in a game, like how differently they play, I do really appreciate that because it leaves room for you to explore more. So I really like this game. I want to play it more. My only fear is that the base box only comes with two factions. I believe there's only maybe one expansion for it, which adds another two. The reason I think people like Cthulhu Wars a lot is because there's some. it comes out with like four factions at the start and then it's a really long, kind of grandiose all-day experience that you play. And this is only like 30 or 40 minutes. And my worry is that I, if I can't get a hold of the expansion, which the website I would do try to pick it up if I wanted to, wasn't available, I'm afraid I'm going to get really tired of it really fast. Because um, I'm only going to go back and forth between the two factions and I'll know how to play them and stuff like that. And so I really want to see if there's a way for me to get the expansions and if that makes it better. And if even Sandy Peterson Games is going to continue to support this. Because if they aren't, I could see myself not wanting to invest my time to it, which may be an evil tactic. Because maybe that's a ploy for them to try to me try to get me to buy Cthulhu Wars, the normal game, or something like that. But this is a great game for two players. I just worry that I'm not going to be able to invest as much time as I like to because of how limiting the factions I have in it already are, and the amount of the limited amount of expansions that are already out there. How does this compare to other duel games? Like, for instance, Splendor Duel, Imhotep Duel, um, Seven Wonders Duel. Is it in that same gateway plus level, or is it a heavier game than that? I'd say it's a little bit heavier than Seven Wonders Duel for sure. It took me... It's not. I, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a complex game. I mean, lots of times when you get those duel games, it really is trying to simplify some aspects of a much larger game at scale. And this does that, I think, really well, having watched some videos on how Cthulhu Wars plays. I think lots of people who like Cthulhu Wars will appreciate this. But this is definitely not Gateway, I would say. This is more of a, I'd say, medium-light game. What you're actually doing is not too complicated, but with the asymmetry and with some of the different aspects that you... Because all the units that you're using are very different. They act very differently. And they are able to do different things. Plus, you add on top of that asymmetry and how the dice rolling and combat works. It can get a little much for a new player. So I, I definitely put this as if someone has played a game as maybe like maybe Bunny Kingdom or even like Great Plains, I could introduce these to them, but nothing more than that. Well, I think that's great. And I also love this trend of bigger games turned into two-player games and calling it dual. I want to continue this. I, I think I'd love to see things that are more like this out in the world. Twilight Imperium Duel. <laughs> sure i mean you know, yeah if I, they did that i'd be all over that you know i agree with that i liked uh so they did the same thing with like sobek too right isn't there like a larger sobek game and now there's like this little two-player version because we and have... actually i like the sobek two-player version it's it's pretty solid yeah no i love it it's uh, it was it was pretty great when we when we grabbed it a few months ago i was actually surprised at how much i liked it but yeah i had no idea there was uh, a larger version actually and it's just like yeah part of this trend of um yeah this uh make a smaller version make it called dual change some rules up because yeah i think uh you know games for couples is an underrated art uh, like audience like there's a lot of people who especially like after the pandemic you know 
you can't get a board game night together. You live with like one or two other people. So like two and three player seems like an optimal amount of players. And I think uh, there a lot of people are like seeing that there's more of a market for two player games now. Yeah, and I, I, I'm obviously part of that market myself. But I also agree that even if your partner isn't the person that plays with you, it's easier to get one person to come over to the house and hang out with you for whatever reason than to get a group together and then all the social dynamics involved in that. So yes, I hope this trend of two player games continues to get stronger. Mm. Yeah, I mean, before the pandemic, when you when we always like looking for people to pitch games to and researching publishers, maybe Andrew, you saw this too. It was always like, we are not accepting two-player games. We aren't accepting two-player-only games. I don't see much of that anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Like, I really do think pe- publishers, especially, starting to realize, you know, there's lots of people out there who you know live maybe in you know Nowheresville, Alaska, who still like playing games but only have one person to play with. Or even like here, like it's hard for me sometimes to get into a group and I don't live too far from a game store. It's, I, and I can only play two players most of the time. So I really do think publishers are starting to wake up and realize, hey, you know, two player games are awesome and they sell. So, but yeah, so that was a Cthulhu Wars, Cthulhu Wars Duel by Sandy Peterson Games. Well, my instruments are ready to rock. I'm excited to hear about this Kickstarter breeze. So let's go ahead and start our dive. All right, so Kickstarter, we had just literally moved to Seattle, and we did our Kickstarter. This is like in the early half of 2017. Our apartment doesn't have anything in it yet. Running this Kickstarter, I'm doing an all-nighter. I'm just sitting on the floor with my laptop. This was six months after our first one near the end of 2016 failed, where we were in like with another publisher. So we spent like six months, and then during that six months, we uprooted our whole lives from Massachusetts, went to Washington, ran this ran this Kickstarter. We did it. We blew through all of our strength. That was another one where I vastly underestimated the amount of people that would show up on the first day. Um, so mm-hmm. I accidentally only spaced our like stretch goals out by like $500 or something. So we ended up blowing through like all of our stretch goals during the campaign. Like the, we blew through all of our stretch goals in like the first like three days of the campaign. And we are, we had to be like, start like basically looking up, like we are pinging our manufacturer back and forth about what we were supposed to do for stretch goals for that game. You know, we were promising all these things. Da, 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 da. We funded, and we unlocked a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, luckily, we didn't overpromise and like lose our house on it. We, but we did take the money, and we did basically rebuild the entire game from scratch. Like the first Aegis box, like what we shipped near the end of 2018. It took us like 18 months to figure everything out and actually fulfill the game. But uh, by the end of 2018, we had shipped a game that was significantly better than what we advertised on the Kickstarter. Sometimes I look back on our 2017 Kickstarter, I'm like, why would anyone back this? <laughs> it's like, uh, but we we got much shinier box art. We redid all of everything. We rewrote the rules. I had to like excavate a lot of our game assets because like some of it was like not made by us. It was made by our previous publisher and we had to like reorganize all of our InDesigns and like files and all that. Um, had to figure out how to do all sorts of stuff, like produce like our insert tray and like all these all these other things that we just had to like learn on the fly while we were 
putting the final game together. Uh, we, we, we shipped something really good. We had it flown over to Gen Con in 2018. It arrived the day of. Uh, we saw we got 200 copies straight from China, sh- showed up at a hotel door, and then we sold through all of them that weekend. The first time I had ever seen my game's final version in real life uh, was basically at Gen Con, where 200 of them showed up at the door, and then we moved through all of them. <laughs> and from there we kind of just started development on Aegis 2 like Pax Unplugged that year we brought it to we brought some new prototype cards to do stuff uh, at Pax Unplugged we were playtesting new Aegis 2 stuff there and then we spent all of 2019 selling the game we sold through all of it and then we hit the pandemic <laughs> so we it took us about it took us our game came out in like a really good spot it took us exactly the amount of time to sell out of pretty much all of our copies and then we hit the pandemic and then basically we were just trapped in our houses forever so starting from the vantage point of what do you do when you have one successful game where do you go from there well we had like a few different options we have like a couple other games in the cooker that we could have worked on from when aegis one shipped you know, you worked. We worked on Aegis One for like six years, something stupid. We built it like four different times. We had a self-published version, went through a, our publisher. We built like twice with them, and then did our Kickstarter version, and then we rebuilt the whole game and it was the final version. But so I was like, well, we, well, during that time we came up with like all sorts of ideas and stuff that like got cut from the final game, and you know, uh, the game still kind of shipped with like the kitchen sink in the box. But we were like, well, what if we? We have all these templates, we have all these assets, we have all these ideas, and now we have all this experience. Why don't we just make a second Aegis? Um, we definitely could. It'd be it'd be easy. It'd be so it'd be so easy. It'd be so fast. <laughs> Five years later, <laughs> we're doing the Kickstarter for this new one. But we had like this like bulleted list of things. As we were shipping the game, we get we got all sorts of feedback from our backers and all these people who are playing our game in the wild for the first time. Um, and we now had the know-how, and we had the know-how to address these things at this point. So we wanted to like go like let's make it, the game is pretty accessible to start with, but like let's make it more accessible. Let's like let's lower let's lower the learning curve. Let's uh, let's use some of this money that we have to make it so I don't have to do all of the art anymore because I did all the art for the first box. Basically, we had it was me for like 80 of the 100 robots and like the rest were done by another artist uh, Mong and this time though I just served as an art director we have a team of like five or six artists that worked on Aegis 2 and like I do all the concept like sketches and stuff and I'll like direct them back and forth but yeah we have like six different artists working on Aegis 2 I managed to get the all of them match style and stuff really well so that's cool but we want to make the game prettier, more professional looking, make it easier to learn, uh, address some gameplay stuff, just fix some things, strip out some things. Uh, and then like one of the biggest requests was solo mode, so we put a solo mode in the game. And that's probably what the last like year or two was all about. First we built out all the content for Aegis 2, and then you know once you have like a bunch of the robots and the new mechanics settled down, then we started like okay, well, let's start building this new mode. 
now that we have the fundamentals there okay let's start building the solo mode and now let's start now we're now we're in the middle of building the our like campaign scenario book which is something we did for the first game now we're doing another one for the second game then we spent we, i wanted to launch the kickstarter in uh early 2020 actually <laughs> um and then we just uh we definitely didn't do that three years after i said i would launch the kickstarter we're launching the kickstarter our preview page was actually been up since like january last year um but we just i'm just like i was very daunting i didn't really want to i didn't really want to do a kickstarter uh it was it was very scary to do even though i had done it before and you know just getting the page right getting all your marketing together getting mm -hmm. uh getting the video made uh, get, getting prototypes made, getting getting those sent out to reviewers and like media people and contacting the media people and like setting up everything. It's such a it's such a to do <laughs> to do a Kickstarter because like all of the work is before the Kickstarter. Now I'm in like the easy part. <laughs> um, the easy part is after you launch, where you just like it'd be even easier if I actually drafted my updates ahead of time, like a normal person. Uh, but you know, I was doing everything else, and now we're just like updating on the fly, and but that's so much easier than what I was doing the last like three months, which was all of that other stuff. Um, just just trying to ramp up as many Kickstarter like signups on our signup page as possible and all that. But uh, the the good thing is though that we spent so long developing Ages Two that it's basically a finished game. We have like almost all of the art done. Um, we had the games reasonably well designed and balanced. We have to like, you know, we're still going to be doing some polishing work on like solo mode and some other things, but it's not like Aegis 1. We're not going to be like rebuilding the whole game after we get the Kickstarter money and delivering it two years from now. Our plan is to actually uh, deliver it in August. I was trying to aim for August. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's been a, it's been a process. So the follow-up game. Yeah. This is a very daunting experience that I want to dive into more as kind of like your mm -hmm. second game publisher. Before I do that, I want to say something about this that I watched the video you guys put out <laughs> for Aegis, and th this entire game gives me Saturday morning cartoon vibes. Was that on purpose? Which is a compliment, because I love Saturday morning cartoons. When I was a kid, I used to wake up like at 5 a.m., and get ready for my you know four hour block before everyone woke up just watching cartoons. So is that something you on purposely did? What like what made you go for this kind of you know I want to say like American anime esque style of game? Let's see. So yeah, you know, you, you one of the biggest things I've learned about making games is that I think you should make what you know and you should make what you like because uh, you know people can tell people can tell. Uh, something genuine from not genuine, right? Uh, so yeah. I grew up watching robot shows. Robot shows. All I do is watch cartoons. <laughs> uh, even now, all I do is watch cartoons. I watch robot anime. I I buy Gunpla. I <laughs> um, and I you know I, I grew up with Power Rangers. Watched Transformers the movie five thousand times. Rented Voltron and you know Star Avengers from Blockbuster when I was a kid. Never stopped nice. watching robot stuff. And so when it came about to make a game, my first like real game, and we were in like senior year of college when it just like kind of first spawned, I was like, what are we going to make? I needed to do something that I could do uh, uniquely that would be unique and interesting. And it's like, well, what if we made a faster Warhammer? And what if it was about combining robots? <laughs> and it's like, what if I 
Faster Warhammer. Okay. That's pretty much what it is. That's our, our pitch for Aegis is that it's 30 minute battle tech. It's 30 minute Warhammer. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's just made to be a faster, simpler, more accessible, skirmishy war game. Um, and to be fair, it looks like that. So that makes sense. Yeah. And so, one of the biggest things about making another game, too, is like you want somebody to be able to look at your game and like, five seconds and figure out whether they like it or not right like that's like the ultimate goal in terms of like making like uh, your games like your games like pitch and i think anyone who looks at aegis looks at a picture of the game looks at the art they can figure out in five seconds if they're gonna like it or not people it's like a it's like a for some people it's like a repellent <laughs> but for other people it's like where has this been all my life and <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I forgot too. I was just oh yeah, what is, to you? But <laughs> yeah, what inspired the game? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I watched I watched a lot of cartoons, and with a video that you're talking about, our full animated opening vocal theme song with a full four minute spot a version of the theme song on Spotify and YouTube and title and all these other things, we are. We have joined the pantheon of board games that have a vocal theme song, <laughs> of which yeah. I think there are like three others. A E G I S Go! Yeah, yeah, yeah. The theme song made me made me happy. Like, okay, this game makes me happy. <laughs> so you won there. Yep. So you said something interesting that caught my little earbuds. You said it's for BattleTech players who like it easier. The easier BattleTech. I like BattleTech. I'm mm -hmm. starting to get more and more into BattleTech, and I played BattleTech more than a couple times. For someone like me who enjoys that game, what aspects of Aegis are going to draw me in? Uh, you can move your dudes around a hex grid and roll dice to attack, but the whole process will be less than an hour. <laughs> <laughs> am i still getting that like am i still getting that rich gameplay though because some what oh, yeah. that i like BattleTech so much is like you know there's the the heat and trying to balance between heating up your your smacks and trying to make sure you're basically resource management of the heat you patrol mm -hmm. and that's what makes it interesting for me plus the terrain and all the different aspects the combinations of mechs you can make so was is there's that in the game am i going to get all that richness in an hour uh yeah so it's we have a few different we have a few different mechanics in the game uh it's very it's not like a, even though it's like a simple game and it has like the saturday morning cartoon vibe uh, it just is like it's not like a it's not like a it's not like a baby game it's 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 pretty complexity wise it's pretty in line with like a Yu-Gi-Oh or like a magic sort of thing we have keywords we have resource management we have a lot of thinky positioning and like a lot of it is resourcing because like the main a lot of the, the the main mechanic of Aegis is that you have your five robots on your team and they share energy with each other. So each robot will actually add a action points to a pool and you'll usually end up with like 15 to 20 points or whatever. And then every space you move costs a point and every die you roll costs a point. So depending on who you're fielding and what you're doing on your turn you know it's it's there's a lot of resource management stuff there you can save energy on your opponent for your opponent's turn because some robots can like attack back or have like triggered like evasion abilities and things like that um so there's still like some good mathy noodly thinkiness but it's not super overbearing 
it's uh pretty generally speaking yeah aegis is pretty satisfying to play even though it's pretty short um comparatively to other things in the genre yeah obviously first things first is it's bright and colorful and you're right it does have that that image that feel the sunday morning cartoons um then i see the hexagon grid and that makes me happy because i like hexagons it looks like it has a tremendous amount of content. I can see all the different characters, kind of all the different options. It's all about comboing, so that makes me happy. Yeah, I I get all the vibes, everything you've said so far. I don't think I can add much to it. This is pretty solid. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, one, uh, the, one of our, one of our, every, so one of the things on our Kickstarter page is really funny. It's like, so everything in our game is like super on brand with this five colors thing everything goes red blue green purple yellow everything's aegis so even our kickstarter page has like five sections and they're color coded red blue green purple yellow um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh that was (laughs) that was uh probably regretful because we spent a lot i spent a i spent a lot of time agonizing over the shade of red on the background of some of these like kickstarter graphics (laughs) because sometimes it was like it looks really desaturated on my monitor that i look at it on my phone and it's like somebody like shooting you in the face with like neon (laughs) and so like just figured yeah (laughs) oh yeah it's you know you do a lot yeah you have to do everything it's all for the brand you have to (laughs) you have to make it you have to make everything kind of match what the um, what the game's all about. So to kind of run out this conversation, the I talked about a little bit about the follow up of your publishing house, your publishing studio, and this is the, you're going you, you had kind of an advantage because you, you use an established game title to kind of shoot off your second Kickstarter. Well, what do you what do you so for people out there? Maybe there's a young publisher they got their first game out there with success, but now they want to do the second game. What advice would you give them on trying to do a second title? Because it's it, like people like they, you hear all these successors like, "Oh my gosh, my Kickstarter funded! Holy cow, I have a company! What do I do now?" <laughs> what, what advice would you give them? Get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. well, that's, that's, that's what this episode tilt-top submarine breeze. I'm gonna quote Breeze in that it says, "Get another job." <laughs> you know, it's like it's like really cool to be a board game publisher, and you know, it's cool to have sixty-four thousand dollars, which we just hit right now. Uh, but you know, it's it's. Uh, Man, if I had been, I could imagine having a job that just paid me $64,000 per year to do something boring. I could have so much more money. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, it, whatever, so if you, you have your first successful game, what do you do? I mean, you really want to look at what you look at what your audience liked and what they want, right? And you could, uh, we built Aegis to be expandable. So, that's the other thing. If you want to look at, is your first game that you released, did you design it from the get-go to have to, to accommodate like more, more offshoots or more this or more that? And I would say that make a game that's standalone. I think that's always good because rather than publish like a re... You could do a reprint of your game and maybe it'll get even more popular if it's in high demand. But I think making a second game that's a similar as an SRP that kind of doubles down on all the fun stuff of the first game. Um, I think that's a really good route to take because then you have two products that you can sell um, to people. 
Um, you have two. You have the first game. You have the second game. It's bonus points if they combine in some way, because then the people who own one will want the other. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to just making like a an expansion that doesn't stand alone. I don't really like the concept of expansions that don't stand alone. I think I was walking. I walked into a game store yesterday when we were, you know, uh, doing stuff, and like I saw that you have Machi Koro, and then you have Machi Koro. There's a Machi Koro box that was the same size as the core box, but it was just the two expansions for it. And it's like I know exactly what box you're talking. Yeah, about. like it bothers the, me too. Yeah, the million, the millionaire row, and the sea, the the yeah. harbor expansion. It's in the same size yeah. box as the core game. You can't play them on their own though. Like, why are you publishing? What a waste of cardboard! <laughs> like, <laughs> just just put the five extra cards in to make it a functional game. At that point, like, put the effort in. Like, I hate it. And we have Aegis One had a little ten card expansion that you could only buy if you had the first box, and I hated that too. Um, it's just like yeah. <laughs> I want to try to stick to only making products that can be played on their own from now on, because then you're not like stuck with them if you know people don't want to get them or whatever. You want something that new players can buy and returning players can buy. You want your new product to have as much of a, a much of an audience as possible. Um, because you want to, yeah, you can get twice as big of an audience. People who already know who you are and new people if you publish something that stands alone. Uh, so I would, tr anyone who's making their second game, I'd consider looking at things with that angle. And it's a lofty goal. I think it's a smart process to just make anything you produce as a product something that people can use right away without having to have something else. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it'll, yeah, it might take you a little bit longer, but it'll be worth, it's worth it more in the long run. Because, like, imagine, think really long, think really far into the future. You're walking into a game store. They have a dusty copy of your your non-standalone expansion, like, buried on a shelf. Who's going to buy it? Literally nobody. It'll be sit, it'll sit on that shelf for 30 more years until, like, the store shuts down and somebody throws it in the garbage. Like, you want to have something that somebody could buy 10 years from now and not have to, like, hunt down an old copy of your core game or something. Well, we are really deep down to the tabletop oceans right now. That was a <laughs> wonderful story. I loved hearing about your experience coming from, you know, Cecil Kickstarter to where we are now. So thank you so much for sharing with us with that, Breeze. But let's go ahead and see what's on our radar. So, Andrew, we are on your radar. We have a game we've already talked about, but I want to hear more about your your uh, side of the story with this and why you're looking forward to it. So I actually have a game scheduled this afternoon of Hoy. So I'm going to check that one out, and we're going to play the two-player version, uh, which I'm very curious to see how that plays. So kind of combining what we talked about earlier on two levels there, talking about we're going to play a Hoy duel. That's what we're going to do today. So there we go. I'm not going to lie. If they ever made, if, if Leader Games, you know, Leader, if you're if you're listening, which if you are, hi, love your games. But if you are listening, if you made a Root Duel, I would be so into that. Because right now, Root is not a great two-player game, in my opinion, even with all the Automas. It's not a great two-player game. But if they made a Root Duel somehow, somehow figure it out, you would have a lot of happy people, me included. I would be very happy. I think it's only a matter of time. But uh, enough about that. What are you looking forward to, Josh? So, I have a... Oh my gosh. A little game. It's called Subobotage. It is a little <laughs> car... <laughs> I said the same thing. When this came to the game store on new releases, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. 
it's a, it's about, I'm pretty, I barely know anything about it. I know I'm demoing it this Thursday for my store's board game night. I know it's a game about Boba T. It probably has lots of take that in there. And I got to say, I it's on my radar, but I am really not looking forward to it that much. I mean, 10 out of 10 for a title, like yeah. Chef's Kiss, Sabobotage. Like, <laughs> give that person a raise, whoever came up with that, because they deserve it. Holy cow! Like that—that's that's a great name for marketing, but I've—I I just know I think it's not going to be my type of game. But it, you know, even then, it's in my radar because it's what I'm probably going to be playing this Thursday. So that's the Bobotage. It's exact—it's it's exactly what it sounds like. Charming title, charming theme, but I don't know how it's going to turn out. I'm sure you guys will find out soon, though. <laughs> I hope it's I hope it's incredible. I hope nothing nothing my favorite genre of game is games with fun titles. <laughs> um so, yeah, no, I'm sure hopeful to be really good. Um, I mean, I just imagine the marketing you could do for this. Like you just like sitting there doing nothing and someone just throws like boba tea on some person. They go, "What was that? You've been sabotaged." But it is like a Nickelodeon 2000 like commercial where people are just throwing boba tea at each other. I mean, marketing great, but that's besides the point. Anyways, uh, Breeze, what are you looking forward to playing in the future? Uh, let's see. This Christmas, uh, we got uh, Clank Catacombs, and I'm looking forward to cracking that open finally sometime soon. We're pretty big fans of Clank in this house, and we're hopefully going to yeah get into it. I know that it's like Clank, but instead of a board, you lay down tiles, kind of like, you know, a betrayal at House on the Hill, and... Uh, it just seems like such a cool natural evolution. I keep hearing really good things about it too. Um, hopefully one day we'll make a we'll make a deck builder. It seems like something that everyone has to make if you're making board games. Is it's like a rite of passage. You have to make a deck builder. But uh, yeah, uh, we own like every version of Clank. <laughs> As someone who hates deck builders pretty regularly. But I love Clank. Clank is like my favorite deck builder. Right. <laughs> I have played Clank Catacombs, and I'm ex- I'm not gonna. I don't want to like hype it up or anything because I want you just go in right what you're feeling right now. But I'm excited to see what you think about it because I enjoyed it very very much. Yeah, it's like one of that. It's like an example of you know they've made Clank like five times now, so I assume that it can really only get better as they try more things because the more you make a game of the same system you more you have like a intimate understanding of what the audience likes and what doesn't work so i'm look i'm interested to see what the uh, clank like 4.0 plays like our oxygen is almost out it is time to let breeze go let's ascend to the surface and wrap this adventure up Well, Breeze, it has been a pleasure having you on the submarine today talking about Aegis and the journey you went from 2008 Kickstarter, 18 Kickstarter to a very successful Kickstarter here. We want to say from me and Andrew, congratulations. We are very happy for you and your team. We hope yeah. it continues to grow. So if people want more of Aegis in their life, if they want even more Breeze in their life, if they want more of your publishing studio, Zephyr, 
Am I saying this right? I think I'm pronouncing it wrong each time. <laughs> uh, Zephyr Workshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was right. Zephyr Workshop. Where can they go? What can they do? Can go find our game on Kickstarter. Uh, tinyurl.com slash Aegis2 is the easiest way to get it. But, you know, uh, look up Aegis Combining Robots on, and you'll be able to find all of our stuff around. The, we're on Twitter. We've been posting on Twitter a lot lately. Uh, Twitter.com slash Zephyr underscore Workshop. And you can... Uh, chronicle you back our game uh do it (laughs) (laughs) do it just do it (laughs) make breeze's dreams come true there you go back our game for a dollar uh sabotage all of our backer polls it'll be really funny (laughs) (laughs) we had five thousand backers only made five thousand dollars (laughs) like well thank you so much again breeze Voyagers, adventurers, listeners, we are so, we still don't know what to call you, probably just listeners. We'll, me and Andrew will figure it out eventually. But thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Tabletop Submarine. As always, my name is Josh. And I'm Andrew. And I'm Breeze. Bye.